Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Don't you think Jonah is probably the sulkiest person in the entire book of Scripture? I mean, truly, I'm going to die. I'd rather die than live. Just the drama, and he keeps on about it. He's just really ticked off because he doesn't want to go in the first place to those people in Nineveh. He just as soon called down hellfire and damnation on them right away. Let's get it over and done with. And that's why he goes. God calls him, go, preach repentance, be my prophet to Nineveh. And instead, what does he do? He goes the exact opposite way. He heads out to Tarshish, gets on the boat. What was he thinking? He knows about God. He knows God knows where he is. He's trying to escape on a boat. And then what happens? Well, this humongous storm comes and the sailors are throwing everything they can do overboard. And finally, Jonah says, actually, it's me. I'm I'm the reason for this because I'm trying to get away and out of God's will, throw me overboard. And they're going, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And he says, yes, sorry, folks, going to have to do that because uh, otherwise we're all going to go down. So they throw him overboard and, you know, he ends up in the belly of a fish. And, of course, Jesus uh, refers to this, doesn't he, when... uh, Later on, they're asking for signs, and he says this adulterous generation uh, will be given one sign, and that's the sign of Jonah, three nights and three days in the belly of a whale. And so finally, Jonah prays to God, and God makes the fish vomit him up on the shore. And so he drags his feet all the way to Nineveh. Don't you just see? He just does not want to go there. He doesn't want to go and preach the love of God that repentance brings new life. And uh, so he trudges across the city 40 days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And he's walking. It takes a few days to get across the city. And he's astounded that people are actually listening to him. And that makes him even more ticked off. Because now they're repenting of their evil ways and they're turning to God. And then the king himself hears about it and the king sends out a decree and says, okay, everybody, repent, fast, put on sackcloth and ashes. You know where Nineveh is, of course. Nineveh. The ruins of Nineveh now are on the other side of the Tigris from modern-day Mosul in Iraq, the Assyrians. He was sent to Iraq. He was sent to the people who had been desperately cruel to his fellow Jewish citizens who had overthrown them, who had conquered them. He didn't want God's mercy on them. He wanted God's justice on them. He wanted them blown off the face of the earth. And uh, so he's, uh, here he is. He goes outside of the city 
and he's just plain pouting. He's sulking. I might as well just die. I don't want to live anymore. And he sits down, and God is gentle with him. Uh, Jonah builds a booth for himself. God makes uh, branches come up and over him uh, to shelter him from the heat, and he sleeps through the night. He's just waiting to see. Maybe they won't repent after all. Maybe it'll get blown to smithereens even now. And then he wakes up in the morning, and the branches are gone. Let me die. I don't even want to live anymore. And the Lord says, why would you be angry? Why are you angry? You didn't labor to have that grow? And it's, you got the shade of it while it was there? If I can do that for you, why would I not show mercy as they've changed their hearts in Nineveh for 120,000 people besides animals? And Jonah is, replies to God and says, I knew this about you. I knew this is who you are. I knew that, and that's why when I was in my own country, I went away. Says, O oh Lord, is not this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. See, it's God's graciousness that he fled from, not for himself. He was ready to take God's graciousness for himself. He didn't want God's graciousness for his enemy, for the people in Nineveh. It's that character of God, though, That's what the psalmist knows about the character of God. The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great kindness. There's another people angry at the graciousness of God in today's gospel reading. Jesus is telling this parable to his disciples. He says, as a landowner goes out early in the morning, goes out, brings people to work in his vineyard. But first of all, they agree on what's a good daily wage, what's an honest daily wage for the landowner to give and for them to receive. And he goes out a few hours later and finds some more people in the marketplace, invites them in to work in the vineyard. He goes out again two more times, noonday, three o'clock in the afternoon, invites them to come in and work in the vineyard. And then at five o'clock, an hour before uh, the close of the working day, he goes out and finds yet others who nobody else has wanted to touch. Nobody else is invited into work. And he finds them and he says, why? Well, because nobody's hired us. He said, well, I do. I want to. I want you to work in my vineyard. Come and work in my vineyard. And then he tells the steward at the end of the day, 
to start by paying the ones who worked the least amount of time, who came in the last, to pay them first and to pay them the exact same wage that the first people who had gone out to work were given. And so he pays them, imagine their joy, we get the same amount as the ones who were here in the beginning. The ones who went out in the beginning are not so happy. They're grumbling about it. They thought they'd get a little bit more. Jesus, of course, is talking about being invited into the kingdom and all that that entails because God's the one who's inviting the people into his kingdom life, the work in the kingdom. We all get to be workers in the kingdom. It doesn't matter when the Lord calls us into that work. And it's not that our work earns us anything in the kingdom. It's not that we can say, not one up for me, I just did this good deed. Because there's nothing that we can do that can earn our way into the kingdom. That has been freely given to each and every one of us. This is a wonderful parable for those who have family or friends who do not yet know Christ, but might come to know Christ at the very end of their lives. They're still in the kingdom. They still get all of the riches of being invited in to God's kingdom. That was the case with my mom. So I take great comfort from this parable because God's promise is that we get to come in and participate fully in his kingdom. N.T. Wright puts it this way, when God keeps his promises, he's not rewarding us for effort, but doing what comes naturally to his overflowing nature. He's a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. That's the character of God, overflowing love. And so our work in the kingdom is not about earning any kind of reward. It's purely and simply as a response to the gift that's first been given us. But we live in a society where there are benefits for things. And so our mind kind of naturally gravitates to that. A man dies, goes to heaven, St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates and St. Peter says, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things you've done and I give you a certain number of points for each item depending on how good it was. When you reach 100 points, you get in. Okay, the man says, I was married to the same woman for 50 years and never cheated on her, even in my heart. That's wonderful, says St. Peter. That's worth three points. Three points, he says. Well, I attended church all my life and supported its ministry with my tithe and service. Terrific, says St. Peter. That's certainly worth a point. One point? 
Well, I started a soup kitchen in my city and worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Fantastic. That's good for two more points, St. Peter says. Two points, the man cries. At this rate, the only way I get into heaven is by the grace of God. And St. Peter smiled. There's your hundred points. Come on in. We don't earn our way into heaven. The Lord just says it's by the grace of God. It's his graciousness. He just welcomes us in. And we get to be workers in the vineyard, and that's our blessing. It doesn't matter when we're invited in. Paul is that ultimate model for the vineyard worker. It's not about him. It's never about his reward, uh, what it is to him. It's always about sharing Jesus. It's just about sharing the love and the peace and the joy of Jesus. That's all he wants to do. He's writing this amazingly joy-filled, rejoicing letter to the church in Philippi while he is in prison, not knowing whether the next day he might be pulled out and beheaded for his faith. He doesn't know. He does not know the outcome. And he's strapped to Roman soldiers all the time in prison, waiting for the outcome of a trial. And yet he writes to the church in Philippi, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And I don't know which is better. Actually, I'd like to die and be with Christ. He's not being morbid. It's just he loves Jesus so much that to be in his closer presence is what he desires. And he says, but to live is better for you so that I can support you and I can continue to encourage you and I can continue to share Jesus with other people who don't yet know him and don't know his love. So that's probably what will happen. That's what will happen at the end. I won't be executed. You see, he can always see in whatever situation, he can work it so that Christ and God are given the glory. Uh, Because he tells the Philippians at the beginning, even though I'm in jail... Even though I don't know from one day to the next whether or not I'm going to be beheaded, because that's what would have happened to a Roman citizen, he said, but I'm getting to share the gospel, even in jail, because I'm strapped to these Roman soldiers. And so I've got a captive audience. So he's sharing the gospel to the entire Praetorium Guards. And in, in doing so, in his imprisonment, Others are coming to know Jesus. So what was meant for evil, he's turning it around. You can imagine, can't you, the Roman soldiers, oh gosh, another day of listening to Paul. And yet, at the end of it, it's like, wow, he's really making sense. Does this Jesus really love me? Am I really loved by Jesus who is God? 
So Paul says, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. It's not the only time that Paul has relied on the prayers of others to sustain him in his ministry. We hear it over and over again that he asks them to pray for him, for his ministry, as he shares Jesus with others who've not yet known him. He says it to the Corinthians, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Do you know that the Lord is still calling workers into his vineyard in the land of Nineveh, in Iraq? People are sharing the love of the God who is merciful gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. We're called into that ministry of prayer. We're called into deep prayer for our brothers and sisters who are facing such terror and violence at the moment in all of those areas, deeply a burden of prayer. By that I mean that we remember it all the time and we're deeply prayerful for them and that we're also deeply prayerful that those who are perpetrating this evil, that Jesus will come to them and change them, that they will hear the voice of Jonah again saying God is merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in love, ready to relent from punishing. It's the only way that the tide of evil will turn. We must be prayerful that they will come to know Jesus loves all peoples and he wants them to come to know his son Jesus who brings love and peace into their hearts. It's interesting when you see the confluence of things that God is bringing together. Um, I've been reading a book called Dreams and Visions is Jesus Awakening the Muslim World. Dreams and visions have been long time uh, things that happen in the Muslim world, but more and more, and this man has, has interviewed these people firsthand. It's not apocryphal. It's not down through. He's personally had this, these talks with these people. People in Iraq, in Saudi Arabia, in Jordan, in Iran, in all of these places, Muslims are receiving 
visions and dreams of Jesus. They say, a man in a white robe came to me. And all I can tell you is that I felt such an amazing love and peace that I have never felt in my entire life. Tell me about this Jesus. And people are coming to Christ through a direct encounter, through visions and dreams with Jesus. It's happening. You can go out there and you can read this book. At the same time, unbeknownst to me, but we figured out Jan Marie has been reading a book called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's the story of a young Muslim man who's actually a medical doctor who was just seeking after God. He was raised as a Muslim. He was raised in a Pakistani Muslim household in America, um, a very conservative family. And he went seeking God. And so he read the Quran and he read the Hadith. And he read through all of that. And yet, he came to realize that the true God is the God who is one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who's perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ, who died for him to save him from his sins. And now you can Google him, you can YouTube him. He's uh, an amazing speaker, um, uh, goes around the country speaking about the love of Jesus that he's received and the salvation that he's received. So we're also to be those workers in the vineyard. doesn't matter where we come in to the vineyard. But like Jonah, we're also to go, not physically, but in our prayers, to cover those people who are spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, who brings peace and not the sword, who does away with evil through his love. May we be that people at prayer. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.